To recap briefly, we are now focusing upon the specific events that are spoken of in the concluding chapters of the book of Revelation and this, these of course involve Revelation 17, 18, 19 and 20. These are the concluding events around the return of the Lord. The first of these events that we focused on is the question of what happens to the woman in the wilderness. Well, we know she became the prostitute and her form of function was riding on the beast, the beast being a great kingdom that carries Satan's power, throne and great authority. And finally, these ten kings ruling over the seven heads get tired of carrying the weight of this woman's greed and nastiness. She offered only the imprimatur of divine favor, but as the true bride arises, the nations begin to see and the kings of these systems begin to see they don't need this harlot anymore and her nastiness, the cup of her filthiness has nauseated them and they begin to act against her but unbeknownst to them, they're acting against her in a manner consistent with what God has put in their hearts because the time has come for this harlot, this prostitute, this false church to be judged. And and it's the kings of the earth who destroy every facet of her influence and what she represents. So that's her judgment. Now, as I've said, there's several concluding events which, and we'll be here for all of that. So the folly of suggesting we're going to get out of here leaves all of this untended. Now I want to speak about the judgment of the beast himself or itself. Satan is different from the beast. Satan is different from the false prophet. Satan is different from the antichrist or the one who who leads this uh, global kingdom. So Satan will be dealt with separately. Actually, Satan is not destroyed at the return of the Lord. Satan is destroyed at the end of the millennium. But I don't want to go ahead of myself only to separate these things out. But with the return of the Lord, it's a time of the culmination of things. Some of that culmination will be judgment, judgment and destruction. Some of that culmination will be glorification and affirmation by God Himself of that which belongs to Him in the earth. So blessings and curses, judgments and and, uh, promotions will all occur 
within this time. You should avoid thinking about these things chronologically because some things are happening in heaven while other things are happening on the earth. But the the sequencing of these things are all consistent with the wrapping up, the finalization of these two camps. One that represents the offspring of Satan and all the activities upon the face of the earth since the Garden of Eden and the other represents the activities of the seed of the woman, the things that relate to God having a son on earth, in the earth, in the image and likeness of God. Much as Jesus endured the temptations of Satan in order to be revealed as the Son of God, so the seed, that which is associated with Christ, namely the body of Christ, the true body of Christ at the end of the age, will be in this time historically, this time of hostility to its very presence in the earth because its hostility, the, 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 its presence in the earth will oppose and be hostile to and be viewed as hostile to the interest of Satan which have been gathered up in this global kingdom as a means of projecting power over the inhabitants of the earth by controlling uh, food supply, health care, and by the threat of war and police action. And it will be threats to the soul and unless you're moving in the spirit, the threats to the soul will intimidate you, change your mindset. Part of it will be threats, part of it will be just lies and the subtlety of lies and the popularization of godless philosophies. If you don't see that that's the time we're in now, then seeing you see not, hearing you hear not. I understand that people are apt to say, oh, but this has always been going on. No, not to this degree. There was a time when, quote, Christian culture restrained nations by requiring a degree of behavior in the public space amongst nations that at least acknowledged a kind of global morality that stood in the way of complete lawlessness. Not anymore. When with the approval and the continuing approval of the Russian Orthodox Church, Vladimir Putin may invade uh, Ukraine and commit acts that uh, are associated like what Hitler did. And he didn't. He doesn't have the, the the scope, but the spirit of those acts. Same as with Adolf Hitler, 
and that the church would go along with it. Uh, the, I mean, the Russian Orthodox Church would go along with it. You know, you understood when when uh, uh, the the church of the, the of the German people in World War II went along with um, with Hitler. It was not under the glare of camera lights. So things were done in darkness then. Not things are done in the open space of day now. And nobody can mistake the murderous, godless perspectives that sit at the very heart of the Russian Orthodox Church and its patriarch Kirill. And what does the what does the Russian president do for this harlot? I read the other day he gave he took he took a quote priceless icon religious icon from a museum and put it back in a particular church building as if these things mean anything to God but it means everything to them because the faith of the Russian people the faith the religious faith of the Russian people who believe and are members of the Russian Orthodox Church is tied up with iconography and symbols and nationalism. It has nothing to do with Christ. These people don't have a relationship with the Lord. No, so there couldn't possibly be the body of Christ. You know what Jesus said that he will say in the last days when he judges? This harlot church, whether he judges it in the, whether he's judging individuals or judging them as a group, and the judgment is no different whether it's an individual or a group. In terms of being rejected, uh, he will say, when they say, "Lord, look at all this wonderful stuff we did in your name," he will say, "Depart from me, you workers of iniquity." I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with you. All this nonsense you threw up, you kept holy relics. What do you think I have? What interest do you think I have in relics associated with this person or that person? Everything about God, everything that is valuable to God, among human beings is transacted spirit to spirit, not flesh to spirit. But anyway, so the concluding of the age, we looked last time at the destruction of this harlot. Her destruction is no loss to God or the things of God. Religious things do not assume spiritual value. They never can, they never do. They only do so in the minds of people who believe that's the way to have a relationship to God, but such people are deceived. Now, 
Oh, it's so easy to place labels today when somebody, when you disagree. Labels like um, misogynistic or homophobic or, um, you know, bias, uh, religious intolerance. You know, I don't care about these labels. This is just the way people quiet their consciences when they don't want to deal with the truth because they've already concluded what they want to conclude. It's a way to demonize truth. The only person who can demonize something is someone who is consumed but with a demon. You can't make truth into error simply because you choose to demonize it. As far as I'm it's probably a good reason God chose me because of my physical features. To say these things, uh, you know, there's some measure of restraint upon those who are likely to be not persuaded by the issuance of labels. We're in a time, we are in a time when those Anyone with whom you disagree, anyone with whom you disagree, will call you a hater. You hate them or you hate their cause because you disagree. I'll flip it right back on you and say, you're a hater if you cannot stand what I'm saying that is true. What's the difference? someone hating me because I'm saying what's true and me charging them with hatred because they reject the truth. See, I'm unmoved. I'm not a public figure. I'm not running for election. I'm not an influencer. I simply don't care what people think in, re in attempting to refute the truth. Do what you will. You know, all of us are going to die. I will be gone in my time. And so will anyone who would call me a hater or, or disagree with me. But then, death is not the end of any matter. Death is the transition beyond the natural and we confront what is true in the spirit upon death or in the next sequence of things beyond death. I am happy with my convictions and the things I'm saying. I'm happy to appear before God to give an account for what I have said. And I can only hope if you have a conviction that what you're saying is true, but it opposes the things that I'm laying out for you, I can only hope that you have the same peace of judicial review when you shall have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and a record of everything you have believed, propagated, or said in any fashion is the basis on which God sits to judge you. If if you choose to ignore what is being said and simply categorize, paste a label across it, 
that allows your conscience to remain undisturbed. But for me, I'm here for the time that I'm here and then I shall appear before God and He will speak concerning the veracity of what I have said. And frankly, no one who disagrees with me is my judge. So I'm not playing for any audience except an audience of one. And my hope is by speaking the truth in an uncompromised fashion, certain ones who would otherwise be deceived by this popularization of falsehoods would be rescued from the lure of these deceptions. But let's move on. The end of the age brings about conclusions of things. We talked about the conclusions that related and that do relate to and will relate to the harlot. Now let's talk about the conclusions that relate to the beast. The one who received power from Satan together with Satan's throne and Satan's authority and is the offspring of Satan. Satan's offspring is not a man. Satan's offspring is a system. Satan is an angel. Angels do not have children. They have, they have the fruit of their nature, but the fruit of their nature is routinely wicked, wickedness. And in the case of Satan, the earth will host the compendium of his wickedness in a final state that is described as a, a kingdom that has seven systems and ruled over by ten kings and asserts influence over the entire earth's population. That means, that means that deception lying in every conceivable form, threats, intimidation, establishing strangleholds over, human, over humans by virtue of what they fear, all of that and more is what is to be expected when this kingdom reaches its apogee and dominates the whole earth. One of the things it will do is it will make war against the saints. I've already mentioned that's what the meaning of the name of the Father upon the foreheads of the sons of God and the name of the beast and the image of his name upon the foreheads of the dominated world's population together with this mark on the right hand. In the case of the saints, there is the mark, so to speak, of the Father upon their foreheads, but no mark upon their right hands. We understand that mark on the forehead is a reference to a mindset not an actual mark. That's a red herring. And I know people go on and on about the technology 
of implanting chips and all of that. That's not it. That's a red herring. It's about a mindset that turns toward evil. Because this mouth, this war, this war between the beast and the saints is a war of words. It's a war of words. Look at the horn that comes up, the little horn that comes up upon the head, upon one of the heads of the beast that replaces uh, other horns. It is given a mouth and it speaks blasphemous things against the Most High, against heaven, against the throne of God, and against the saints. This is the manner of its warfare. It's not mainly a killing warfare. Although it will attempt to intimidate and contain the saints by prison and judgment, but it it is not, this beast is not given to the slaughter of the saints because God doesn't hand the saints over to them for slaughter. He hands the saints over to them for trial. They're refined. What you believe, it becomes who you are when it is refined in the fires of trial. Every time Satan has been in conflict with God, every time the sons of God have been in conflict with Satan, it's a war of words. It's about who the Christ is. Is not Jesus himself referred to as the Word of God? What do you think the war is today about? Everybody has been empowered by social media to have an opinion. Everybody. There are billions of texts and postings on websites and other media forms and formats. Billions of them every day. How many represent anything that is true? Almost none of it represents anything that is true. Most of it is pretty worthless. And it finds traction by appealing to the purient interests of people. That's why influencers uh, always seem to degenerate to matters sexual. I think if I hear one more time uh, the expression that some influencer or some figure has come out or uh, has made a disclosure or is revealing a secret 
or has made a bold statement. Uh, you, 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 know, you know the postings. So-and-so has come out to tell us this or that. Uh, I think if I hear that one more time, um, I'll likely be just simply nauseated. But everybody's talking about how they came out finally, or they're sharing their truth. All I'm trying to show you is that social media is a war of words. This war is going on. It's not going to happen. The, the, the internet is polluted by, saturated by, every deviant form of expression. We're here. So it's a war. And the war is against the truth of the person of Christ and whoever believes in it. So, one of the things that happens at the end of the age is that the Lord comes forth out of heaven. And here is how it's described. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. Why is that important? Because when every person has his own truth, in this war of words, deception is the order of the day. When he comes out to make war, he wears a title, faithful and true, and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Standards. He's returning standards, and standards will be the basis of his warfare. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head, on his head, were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. In other words, his identity was not unknown to him. He wasn't trying to be something on the basis of what other people said. He knew who he is. He was clothed with the robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. The armies of heaven are clothed in fine linen. You remember from earlier on, fine linen, bright and clean, was given to the bride to wear, and this fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. So when the bride is ready, the bride is dressed the same way that the armies of heaven are dressed, in 
white linen, bright and clean, which are described as the righteous acts of the saints. So we're not talking about clothes per se, we're talking about how righteousness adorns those who are like Christ, who comes forth a robe dipped in blood, a reminder of course that he had overcome the evil one by the shedding of his blood and that we overcome the evil one in the same way. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of the Lamb, we overcome the evil one by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony and we're willing to pay the ultimate price if necessary, that they did not save their lives even unto death. So the one who rides forth is clothed in the authority of having overcome. And the armies of heaven follow him, his name is called the Word of God. So this is a, a war of words and he is the personification of truth known as the Word of God. And look, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword with which he should strike the nations. A sharp sword coming out of his mouth. You remember reading in the book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter, about war against Satan? war against the influences of Satan, we are told to take to yourselves the sword of the Spirit which is what? The Word of God. Now this isn't stale, old, contrived, manipulated scripture and doctrines. This is the Word of God in its season. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is what the Spirit shows you in the moment. There is no defense. Satan has no authority against what God speaks through you and to you in a moment in time. There's no defense. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, that's when the Word, the, the, the sharp sword, the Word becomes incarnate in us and we and the Word are one and that we would lay down our lives if necessary. So this isn't primarily a killing war. This is primarily a war of words and some may go to prison for the Word and, because the enemy will create law that outlaws the Word because it's his deal, it's what he's got going. He's ruling in a kingdom that controls legislatures. So he's, he's unabashed about the war, he's no longer subtle about anything. This is open warfare between the armies of heaven led by the Word of God, inclusive of the saints, and the kingdoms of Satan and Satan himself as the prime actor behind the scenes. This happens at the time of the return of the Lord. 
and we will be here. Why would you want to be in heaven when this is the great moment of being revealed with Christ as part of the armies of heaven? The, the family of God constituting the armies of heaven with the assistance of angels and led by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself will confront the lies and falsehoods that have deceived mankind since the Garden of Eden but now have reached their apogee. The end of the age will not come with a whimper. We won't be taken out as some have said. The end of the age is the glorious time of the triumph, the inevitable triumph of the person of the truth who is personified as the Word of God. And look, out of his mouth, this is Revelation 19.15, goes a sharp sword with which he shall strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron so all the nations will not be destroyed. Some will be destroyed. And we've gone through the sequences of the vials of the wrath of God poured out upon the earth, the activities of the four horsemen, and so on. And we know that multitudes will perish in this process, but some will survive and will be ruled over. Look, here it is. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I will continue with the destruction of the beast when we come back, we shall look to see how that which opposed and oppressed the saints is finally destroyed with the brightness of the coming of the Lord. Join me as we continue to deconstruct the ending results in greater detail than we did before. Uh, we begin to deconstruct the ending results of the return of the Lord. This is exciting and necessary information for those who are serious about being prepared at the time of the return of the Lord. I'm Sam Solon. We'll continue to look at the destruction of the beast. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.